Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. All right, everybody. Well, good to see you all for Youth Sunday. And um, again, Cora is here to uh, preach the word. I want to just share before she does um, and uh, just just let you know why she's up here this morning. It's because two months ago, Cora texted me. She said, "Uh, Pastor Jonathan, do you think someone like me could preach a sermon? And I said, absolutely. And... um, (laughs) And I've got a scripture that tells me that, and uh, that is the, the message that uh, God has laid on your heart. It's in First Timothy. She's in our series this morning, um, and uh, man, Cora, uh, God has prepared you for right now, and so no matter what you say, um, we know that God's Spirit has filled you, and that uh, you're here to encourage us, and so um, we're here to listen to what God has to say through you. And I want to pray for you, okay? Can we all pray for, for Cora right now? Father God, thank you for giving us your word and, um, oh Lord, entrusting it to us no matter what age we are. God, we've already been so filled this morning, being able to be encouraged and, and to be able to worship, being led by our, our kids and our youth, Lord. Um, God, and, and now as we receive your word, God, would you use Cora as your vessel? And um, may you just uh, speak through her this morning. And we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Go get it. Preach it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So good morning, everybody. Um, I don't have a title because I did not realize I was supposed to have one. So sorry about that. But I am going to be reading in First Timothy 4, starting at verse 6. Um, So verse 6 says, If you point these things out to your brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, brought up in the truths of faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So when I was first reading this, I was like, well, okay, we have to be a good minister of Jesus Christ. But I read it more and more, and as I paid more attention to it, I was like, well, what are these things that we should be pointing out to our brothers, and what are the good teachings that you have followed? So just as a recap, if you look back through the first three chapters of Timothy, Paul explains different subjects, uh, such as warnings against false teachers, uh, the grace God has on Paul, instructions on worship, and even leadership in the church. But not only the things that Paul has written in his letters, but as our basic knowledge as Christians, such as why Jesus died died for us to the Ten Commandments. Verse 6 explains that to be a good minister of Jesus, you need to lead your brothers and sisters. And without leading them, you won't be a good minister of Jesus Christ. But that leads to another question. What, do, what is leading and how do we lead? To understand instructing others, you need to think of leading in a more extensive sense. Teaching and leading someone does not mean that you have to do a typical classroom-style teaching or preach a sermon. You, when you teach, you should teach with your presence, your life, your actions, your practices, and your words. So to break that down, starting with your life, think about how do you live? How do you, what do you choose to do with your life? And where do you set your standards? When you are living your life, do you, people see you as a genuinely decent person or someone who cares about others? Do people think that you are trying to live your life to be good? Or are you someone who doesn't really 
care about their life or doesn't really use their life to honor God. Um, you should pay attention to those things because not just by our words, but our children and kids and even people older than us can learn from more than just our words, our actions and everything that we do plays a part in how people learn. So moving on into your presence, um, think about the places you are, where do you put yourself and what are the people you hang out with? My dad tells me all the time that the people you hang out with will affect who you are, the things you say and what you're doing. So you need to pay attention to the crowd of people you're with. But at the same time, you have to know that Jesus was with the sinners and with the tax collectors. And the thing is, that leads into your actions. How are you acting and how do you treat others? And what are your social goals? So you can be in those places, but make sure that you are on the right track. Make sure that your intentions when you go to these places and hang out with these people are good. Um, and then leading on into your practices. What do you do as a Christian? When you are trying to teach someone, you should try to live your life as close to God as possible and try to live like Jesus as close as possible. So let's say that I was trying to be an example for a new Christian and they saw that I didn't pray very often or that I didn't really read my Bible or didn't spend much time thinking that studying was important. As a new Christian, they might see that as, well, studying's not really that important. I don't need to study. I don't need to pray to be a good Christian. But, I mean, to be involved with Jesus, you need to read what's in the Bible. You need to pray. You need to build those connections. And whenever we don't show that, we're not teaching with our practices, and we need to. And then leading to your words, what do you say do you think before you speak? I have an issue of sometimes saying things without really thinking, things I probably shouldn't say, and that does rub off on people. That helps people form an opinion on you. When they see the things that you say, they might think, oh, well, this person isn't very nice. They don't say nice things. And not, not even that you're a nice person, but they might think it's okay for them to say those things because you're saying you're a Christian, but then you also go around and say these hurtful things. So by saying those hurtful things, it should be okay as a Christian to say those, or at least that's how you're presenting it. So whenever you look at how you're teaching, you should try to honor God with your life. In every aspect, you should try to use your life to teach others, whether it's your words, your practices, or your actions. So verse 7 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths, old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. So Paul tells Timothy not to practice myths, superstitions, endless speculations, and doubts. He also warns us of these things back in chapter 1 when he talks about false teachers of the law and false doctrine. <clears throat> so, many, there, so what are some religious ob obstacles for, or godless ideas people may have been facing at the time? Well, one would be polytheism, which was the belief or worship of one or more god. Then you had false idols. A lot of people fell into looking to false idols. Uh, Gnosticism is a good example, which is the belief that human beings contain a piece of God within themselves, which has fallen from an, which has fallen from an immaterial world into the bodies of humans. And they also believe that the they also believe in the idea that not only through attaining a secret knowledge can people find their salvation and overcome the material world. So basically, they think they can create their own salvation and that they don't need Jesus for their salvation, which is not true at all. Um, because of these wrong 
sayings, these godlessness, um, that can sometimes be very convincing. Paul warns us of them and tells us to stay away from them. But religious theories or different beliefs aren't the only issue that we face. Often I find myself asking the unanswerable questions, such as who created God or where did he come from? And sometimes I can even catch myself wondering, well, what if there's more to it? But Paul warns us not to pursue such empty questions that hold no value. Usually when I ask these questions, they make my faith seem less strong. So not only do questions like this hold no value, but they also can be damaging to your faith and relationship with God. As you continue in the verse 8, it says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and life to come. He explains that our physical training only benefits us while we have this physical body, but our spiritual training is eternal and holds much more value. We should focus on our lives in heaven and working to get there. I think this can also apply to faithless questions. Often as people, we struggle a lot with the idea that we don't understand everything, and the Bible tells us that we won't. For example, in Ecclesiastes 8, 16 through 17, it explains that nobody can understand what God does here on earth, and through all our efforts, we never will. So instead of focusing on these endless speculations and looking for worldly answers, we should trust that we have what we have in the Bible is factual, and what we need to focus on is our spiritual training instead. Now before I move on, I think the subject of trusting the Bible is something I should address. <clears throat> Often when people ask how we trust God's words, many people automatically turn to faith. Um, and having faith that the Bible, what the Bible tells us is true. So what exactly is faith? Faith is a confident belief in something that you cannot perceive with your senses. And the Bible gives us a clear definition in Hebrews 11.1 1, where it states that faith, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. A good example of this would be me saying that I can be sure the air is here. I can't feel it, I can't smell it, touch it, and I can't taste it. But I trust that the air is here. Uh, the same thing applies to God. I can't see God, but I have faith that I have faith that He is here and in His Word. This also relates back to the endless speculations of God's existence and whether or not it's not true. So while the statement of having faith and it being the reason I think the Bible is factual, some people may not see it as a good reason. And I'm not saying it's a wrong reason, but I think we should try to back this reason. Basically by saying, basi basically by saying we have faith, we're saying we believe in it because we believe, or I know because I know. It's, the important thing to understand is that the statement of faith is okay, but I think everyone should find a reason for their faith. So when someone walks up to me, for example, and asks me why I believe, I can say, because I have faith. And I have faith because in John 3.16, the Bible tells me that God sent his only son to die for my sins. Peter even explains in 1 Peter 3.15 that we should always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you and to give a reason for the hope that you have. But on the other side of this argument of new Christians or even non-Christians trusting faith, I need to mention the fact that people put faith in things every day such as morals and socially acceptable behaviors. So sticking to the argument that God and the Bible are not real, wrong, or somehow mistranslated, where did these socially acceptable behaviors come from? Because if the Bible's wrong and God's not real, that means that they came from a person or some man out there. And if that's the case, that was a long time ago, so how can we be sure that the way we're acting is right? 
because people put faith in the fact that this is how we should act. So if I can have faith in what society tells me today, why can't having faith in the Bible be a perfectly acceptable argument? Um, another fact that I would like to mention about the Bible's factuality is the consistency that is in the Bible. Although the Bible was written by 40 different authors over a span of about 1,600 to 2,000 years, things like the law, morals, the plan, and the way God sacrificed his son, and even the life of Jesus Christ, all these things are so consistent in the Bible that it makes it hard to believe that the Bible isn't true, once again remembering the amount of people that were involved in the writing process of the Bible. I could go on about many things about the Bible's factuality, but in the end, it results and comes down to our faith, and without faith, there is nothing. But before I move on, I would like to mention something that I read in my father's systematic theology book. It mentioned something about the factuality of the Bible that caught my eye. It said, this is a significant statement recording to the extent of the canon and understood by Jewish leaders in the first century. Writing in approximately AD 95, Josephus said that no Jew has dared to alter a simple syllable of the fixed collection of the books of scripture for long ages by which in this context means the time of Esther. Josephus implied that the canon of scripture acknowledged by the Jews was completed at the time of the book of Esther and had not changed since that day. It also states, could it be right for us to believe that our God, our Father, who controls all history, would allow all of his church for almost 2,000 years to be deprived of something he himself values so highly and is so necessary for our spiritual lives? As we... Continue into verse 10, it says, And for this we labor and strive, and that we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe. It explains that because of the things that we know as Christians, and because of the training we put towards our spiritual lives, we can put our hope, our trust, and even our faith in our Lord and Savior. Now, I want to stop and really think about this verse for a minute. Do you strive for godliness? Do you strive to live your life as close to Jesus? Will you go the extra mile for God? When you wake up in the morning, what's most important to you? Do you pick up your phone and start scrolling? Does your mind automatically go to work? Or anything other, anything other than starting your morning with God? Are you more focused on your worldly desires than your spiritual needs? Do you have the same motivation for your spiritual life as you do your physical one? We need to watch what we are focusing our minds on. People are so focused on what's going, on to, what's going to happen tomorrow and stressing about today that we forget to live our lives for God. We are also so focused on physical training that we forget to make time for our spiritual lives. I think often people pour so much of themselves into their physical training that by the time they make it to their spiritual training, they're so burnt out, they don't have the motivation they need anymore. I personally struggle with this and... I know that a lot of people do. So I think whenever you are trying to focus on your physical training, you should think about those temptations that drag you in and try to find ways to prevent them, whether it's spending time away from those things for a little bit, because that can really help you to work on building your spiritual relationship. But continuing, Paul tells us that because of what we know as Christians and because of our spiritual training is so much more important and eternal, that we need to find the motivation to have more involvement and make our spiritual lives a priority. And because of the temptations we face and because of the stress we deal with, we should strive to exercise our spiritual training all the time to make our relationship and our bonds with God stronger. I 
When I continued reading and saw verse 11, when he says, command and teach these things, I loved that verse because there is no hesitation in that verse. He doesn't say, oh, well, you should go and command these things. You should go teach them. It's probably a good idea. No, he says, command and teach these things. There's not a single bit of hesitation in that verse at all, and I love that. So as you continue in the verse 12, it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in the speech and life and love and faith and impurity. Verse 12 explains that you shouldn't let others look down on you or even criticize you because of your young, your age or your teaching, but not only to let others look down on you, but not to look down on yourself. Paul explains once again that you should continue to teach with your words and your life and your actions, your faith and even your purity. When I first brought the idea of my sermon up to Jonathan, I told him that I didn't know if I would be ready anytime soon or if I would even have the strength to do it at all. And I was so afraid. And after I sent him that message, I was like, oh my gosh, why did I do that? <laughs> so then a little while after, Jonathan informed me that I was preaching October 15th. And in that moment, I was honestly flabbergasted. <laughs> when I first brought up the idea of preaching, I was kind of hoping that he'd be like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Let me know when you're ready. But he is kind of like my dad. And it's just like, let me throw you in the water. You can swim. You've got it. <laughs> so... And I, I was so afraid to tell him no because I had already asked for this opportunity and he technically gave it to me, so it wouldn't be right for me to tell him no. So I was like, all right, I'm going to be preaching, so I started to get to work on it. And when I got started, I had all this motivation, things were going, going great, and then things started to slow down, and my thoughts would take forever to come to me, and I slowly lost my motivation. I didn't want to work on my sermon, and I didn't want to talk about it. And then, one day, I was studying, and verse 12 hit me like a ton of bricks. The power of knowing that regardless of my age, I can set an example for others but not only my age, but regardless of my fears or my anxieties, my troubles, or even my insecurities that I can still preach. The fact that I can understand that gave me so much strength. And again, back to verse nine, that idea of no hesitation is really encouraging. Paul says to go and command and teach these things. That's amazing. These verses really help me to understand that I need to push on regardless of fears or what others think, and I believe that should be true for everyone. As you continue into verse, verses 13 and 14, it says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gifts, which is given to you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So, once again, he is telling us not to be afraid of what others think, but also to not think badly upon yourself. Do not let any insecurities hold you back. As you go into verse 15 and 16, it says, Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone can see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Preserve in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So that is something amazing to me. You will save both yourself and your hearers. The fact that 
knowing as a Christian, if you study, you can try to guide people on the right path. And I'm not saying you're going to be the person who saves them. That is what God does. But you can get those people started so that God can take their hand and take them down that path. So before I close, I wanted to ask what the gospel is. The gospel is an announcement that Jesus brought the reign of God to our world through his life, death, and resurrection from the dead. Jesus died for us knowing that he would be beaten over and over, that he would be spit on and cursed at, humiliated, fresh flesh ripped from his body, whipped 39 times each slash breaking his skin, a crown of thorns placed upon his head to destroy his dignity, and then even through all that, people would still not accept him. And after all he did, our salvation is free. We don't have to pay anything. All we have to do is have faith, be obedient, and accept the one and only truth. You pray with me. Lord, thank you for sending your one and only son to die for us. And thank you for your many blessings that you have given us. And the opportunities that you have given us in our lives. Lord, I pray that you help us to lead our brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray that you help us to lead and lean on each other. I pray that you help us to stay focused on our spiritual training because it's eternal and means so much more. I pray when we fall into temptation, you will lift us up and put us back on our feet again. I pray that through our doubts and through our fears and anxieties and insecurities, that you will give us faith. Please help us to remain steadfast in our faith and to never doubt you or your word. I pray you help us to watch our doctrine and that you help us to strive to speak the truth. Help us to live the way you want us to. Lord, thank you for your grace, your hope, and your everlasting love. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.